Welcome to the inaugural podcast of Read the Room, the only inauguration you're going to go to this year that won't end in riots and a QAnon shaman storming the Capitol. Let's My not name, rule it out, though. With fingers crossed. My name is Mike Wardrop, and with me is Katie Isles, and we are so, so excited to be bringing to you a podcast that we hope is an incredible blessing to the Australian church. Um, as we've been talking as pastors and leaders who are in, entrenched in the local church, one of the things that we've noticed is that there's so much amazing content coming from overseas, from America, from Britain. You know, I'm loving the new Nikki Gumbel Leadership Podcast, for example. It's awesome. But there's not many voices for Australia in Australia within the Australian church and within the Australian context. And so our hope and prayer is that this is something that's an incredible blessing to Australian leaders. So if you're an Australian church leader, we see you and we love you and we're here for you and we'd love to hear from you. With me, my podcast co-host, Pastor Katie Isles, Associate Pastor at Journey Uniting Church, one of the world's great preachers. That's not even an exaggeration. She's truly one of the greats. You've got to jump online and listen to some of her messages. And a social researcher for Hello Clarity, where she gets so much clarity for people that need greetings, like, hello. Clarity. That was funnier in my head. She is married to the lovely Callum. And has two beautiful sons, Sammy and Isaac, not in that order. And she's just awesome. We've been friends for 20-odd years and loving every minute of it. Hey, buddy. Hey, what a glow up. Well, thank you so much. You are also one of my favorite people in the world. And I'm sure if you're listening a couple of episodes in and you'll be loving on Wardrop too. Wardrop and I go way, way back. We went to school together. We found ourselves in ministry together. I married his best friend. Um, Just adore this man. He and his beautiful wife, Jenny, planted and lead in County Church Adelaide, which meets in Prospect and it's going great guns. It is one of the most beautifully encouraging, hard-fought success stories of church. And I can't wait for you to hear more about that. They are parents to Grace, my goddaughter, Charlie, not my goddaughter, and Noah, three incredible children. Charlie's a boy, FYI. And they are some of the most hardworking, um, consistent, faithful dedicated and hilarious people you will ever have the chance to meet what they build and what they carry basically in my view is a rising tide it lifts everything up around them so wardrop all the glow ups back to you sir and now that we've made ourselves look and sound amazing (laughs) let's talk about someone who actually is Melinda Dwight is Come our on. first guest, our inaugural we guest. We couldn't be more excited. Oh my gosh. This hey, probably before we talk about Melinda, we should just say, not only will we be diving under the hood of the Australian church, but we will talk a little bit about what's going on in, in the lives of our local churches to begin with, um, in, in the hope that this is something that for you as local pastors, local leaders, local just believers who are in Australia and just walking and trying to get by in an increasingly interesting and complex culture we just pray that this is the sort of thing that that would speak to you from local to local yeah totally and we'll get really honest and really vulnerable um our the leaderships of both our churches would like us to state from the outset (laughs) that all views are our own i am the leadership of my church and i still feel like that's the best decision (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's right. My senior pastors are like, hey, have I got veto rights on this podcast? I'm like, no, you're not my real dad. 
that's a microaggression. That's we, right. we will definitely uh, veer on the sides of inappropriate humour, but uh, all in love. You'll all be right, Australia. Love. You'll be and fine, Australia. And if you are not from Australia, we love you too. Yeah. We are known as the lucky country and we can't wait to know what your country is known as. That's an interesting conversation to have. I never thought I'd be having it. But my hope is that uh, if... If you're not Australian here and you're listening to this and you don't have this kind of conversation happening in your country, maybe it'll spark something. Because I think it's so important to hear what what the local church is doing in your country. Of course, we're globalised nowadays, but we are also local. Like We're incarnate. We're embodied. And there's something about that. We but love it. Katie, tell us about Melinda. I had the great pleasure of meeting Melinda Dwight a couple of years ago and I got to tour with her for a week. And I started to refer to her everywhere I went as the gospel ninja. I have never met anyone in my life who is more disarming. Mm. She can go to anyone. Literally, literally a king in Africa, no joke, ask her about it, and melt his heart. She can go to any denomination. That's not a figure of speech. That's not a figure of speech. Ask her about it. Fact check me on that. Um. Any denomination, any persuasion, any walk of life, doesn't matter who you are, Melinda Dwight is coming for you and you will be completely arrested by her charisma, her love, her kindness and her ability to make simple um, how we share the gospel. Her work with Alpha Australia and can we all just glow up Alpha? Absolutely. flipping love those guys. And if you're listening, Alpha World, we are so thankful. Oh my gosh. And so thankful to the philanthropists that make your ministry possible. I don't know a church that isn't better because of what you're doing. We're running one right now. Running one right now. Great, great fruit. So amazing. So yeah, so Melinda, Melinda is working for Alpha Australia and she has an incredible story to tell as a woman in leadership as a woman who isn't just in leadership now but it's because of people like her that people like me get the chance to do what we do and so we owe her a great debt the church collective owes her a great debt and she's just a flipping fantastic person so we hope you are encouraged and intrigued by this conversation take a listen well Ladies and gentlemen, we're very excited to have the right Reverend Melinda Dwight here with us today. Thanks so much for joining us, Melinda. So glad of you to have me. Thank you. I'm in Melbourne. I join in the opening of an envelope. You know, I'm just thrilled to do something. I mean, I mean, I mean, just being on a computer screen in a Zoom call feels like something you may have done once or twice in the last few months. Yeah, it feels like that's my life. Sometimes I change the room just to really mix it up and that's I'm allowed crazy. out occasionally to walk, but that's about it. That's crazy. Just just different angles for the Zoom call. It's amazing. Um, you know, Melinda is the National Director of Alpha Australia, previously served as a senior pastor of the Imagine Network of Churches for 15 years. And, uh, you know, Alpha is working towards the goal, I love this, of serving all 13,000 churches in Australia. I love that vision. It's so universal. It's, it's so inclusive. And to hear a million Alpha stories as Australians are given the opportunity to explore life faith and God. How do, Okay. Can we start there? Right. Alpha is so universal at this point. I always get vaguely amused when people in podcasts are like, oh, have you heard of Alpha? It's like, really? Are we still asking that question? But we're, we're now asking about a million Alpha stories where we're talk, you're, you're somebody who runs this organization, which is out of Great Britain. And now you, you run it in Australia and you have numerous employees in working with and for you. It is a juggernaut. What is it about Alpha that has survived and thrived for so many decades now? 
Well, Alpha is fundamentally the gospel. It's the gospel that we all agree on. So it's fact-checked before we do anything with every type of theologian and to say, okay, how does this phrase play out? And then also fact-checked around the globe. You know, so so something that seems funny in America isn't really in Australia and vice versa. So trying as much as we can, we don't get it all right. We're, We're in revision at the moment. But trying as much as we can to say, okay, here's the gospel we all agree on. So if I'm Catholic, if I'm Anglican, if I'm a Pentecostal, then Alpha's for me. You know, I can access it that way. Um, and then we, yeah. there's a lot of subjects we don't talk about. Yeah. <laughs> what a day, Melinda. Give us your favourite subjects we don't talk about. Um, the main thing is we don't make a comment on sacraments, you know. So where the church um, diversifies, you know, and, and goes their own way is on baptism and communion. Yeah. So they're the two that we leave up to the church. And then, of course, there's lots lots of other things about that. So we don't pretend to be, you know, you can't in, you know, in, in, in that many sessions be everything, but we're the foundation of the gospel. So who is Jesus? What is prayer? What's the Bible? You know, um, why should I pray? Who's, who's the Holy Spirit? How does that operate? How do I love the church? You know, how do I pray for healing? We cover those things and then we let the church and the Holy Spirit work it out after that. Yeah. What's been the most surprising place that you've seen Alpha thrive in our nation? Um, the most surprising for me because of the context that I've come out of is probably the great traction in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, you, there's on any one Sunday, there's about a million people going to Mass and about a million people going to the rest of us combined. But yet the census says that 5 million people identify as Catholics. Um, and two, uh, anyway, so we won't go into the others. But 5 million identify as Catholics, less than a million go to Mass. So we just got to get those other 4 million to do Alpha and know what the curriculum is all about and then they can work on catechism. So the journey to serve the Catholic Church has been an interesting one and a long one and a, a joyful, challenging, frustrating one. But just a week ago we had a, um, a Zoom gathering which we put together in a few weeks just invited a few Catholics, and we had over 300 people on the on the gathering together around a conference called Regrowth. How can we regrow the Catholic Church? How can we help parishes and dioceses, you know, to really um, come to faith and have that faith be alive? So that's been, you know, just a great joy. I've been to Mass more in the last couple of years than ever in my life, and it's made me appreciate the sacraments because obviously I'm not allowed to take them in a Catholic context. Mm. That's incredible. Um, I was very impressed. We met a young man named Daniel Ang. I think he's from the Catholic mm-hmm. Church in Sydney. And um, I just, I've really enjoyed following him and learning from him. And I also, you know, we're in the Uniting Church. So yeah. we uh, pride ourselves on being. Ecumenism. Sure. Let's go with that. We but do. Like, we yeah. do. And like inclusivity yeah. and what's kind yeah. of thing. And I'm like, I yeah. have literally so much to learn and so much to appreciate from the way they approach sacred rhythms and the way they approach um, their understanding of God. You know, I met this um, Catholic priest in the lineup at the airport once and he just, um, in Spain of all places, and he just finished doing pilgrimage all the way around Europe. And, um, and it was just the most phenomenal thing. But anyway, whatever. All, all of Katie's stories sound like they're going into a bar joke and then and then it turns into an actual story. Well, a Catholic, a Pentecostal, and a Baptist walked into an Alpha course. In an airport in Spain. In an airport in Spain. Well, there we go. What? It only works if you have a Muslim and an atheist as well. You're right. Because You're we, right. we don't just want these Christian people. In Alpha, we want the people that are exploring faith. Well so, put. Sorry, expand expand the story and you'll be fine. Well put. Okay. Well, Hawksy, 
you call Melinda the gospel ninja. Why do you call it the gospel ninja? <laughs> so I had the very great privilege of meeting Melinda last year when I was um, invited to work. It honestly was probably the great career highlight of my existence. And when I found out that I was going to be spending a week with David Kinnaman from the Barna Group and Mark Sayers of This Cultural Moment and, just, you know, infamy and Melinda Dwight, who I'd had a bit of a girl crush on for many, many years, not in a weird way, just in a... <laughs> never in a weird way, sure. Never, never, yeah, in a, never weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, and learning from these guys and presenting this new research, the, the connected generation that came out of the Barna Group. Mm. And Melinda got up there and, and to preach and I'd never heard you speak before and was just, you know, casually talking about, you know, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the prompting here, what God's doing. And I, and then I watched her before sessions, after sessions, over dinner, um, interacting with people of all faiths, persuasions, ages, ethnicities, um, denominations, and just I would watch these boundaries and these cultural kind of traditional sort of dividers or, you know, I don't even know how to describe it, just kind of melt away mm. with this sort of unassuming warmth and um, positivity around how can we work yeah. with you. And it, I was so impressed and refreshed by the determination and the culture of we are going to find what we agree on and build from that in the name of Jesus rather than differentiating at us or defining ourselves against. And so I think I found that it just so encouraging. So yes, Thanks. that's where I that yeah, so that's a bit of a glow that up. A, that was a fun gathering and I think you should say a career highlight so far because we're actually commissioning another research project at the moment, you know, just in in how this is all happening with COVID and what's happening with the next generation and so yeah, we'll be looking forward to bringing that to Australia. We've just got to wait for them to do it. Yeah. Unreal, unreal. And rest assured that one of the first things she did was to text me telling me, just just bragging, not not humble bragging, yeah. just a straight brag, this is what I get to do. I, yeah, it so, was fun. It was great. And, and, and you know, to have all your friends together is so wonderful. It's great, yeah. you know. Yeah. So special. Yeah. So, Melinda, I think we're really interested to, we want to equip and encourage church leaders, people in ministry of all persuasions. Mm. And I suppose we just want to get a sense from you, from your sort of privileged position of working across denominations nationally. Mm. What are you seeing in Australia, particularly during this time of COVID-19? Yeah, it's an interesting time when the whole context of a nation changes. And so all of us are forced to adapt to that. So I think what we have in common becomes even more important. There's lots of things I'm seeing. One of them is this um, incredible ability to pivot to online um, connection, which mm. I had never really expected. Once mass went online, I thought, okay, this is here for a while. So we were sort of mid gatherings with Alpha when we connected and said, okay, we're all going online. How hard can it be? We only have to be one step ahead of anyone else. So we put out a manual on how to use Zoom and how to do Alpha online. And that really helped serve churches because lots of churches were like, how do we do this? What are we going to do? And that's what we want to do is how do we serve churches? So I'm seeing that. I'm seeing in the context in Australia more searches on what happens when I die, more openness to spiritual conversations that I've ever seen before. Um, so that's fascinating. People are searching. I've got friends that I've been dealing with for 20 years, never come to church, never shown any interest. I start texting them some links at Easter and various times to give them a few to choose from. And, you know, they're connecting. So I think there's something about going into people's homes and meeting them where they are. So that's been a huge shift. Mm. I think um, 
we got a bit battered with some of the royal commissions and some of those things, whereas I think all of the church is now saying, okay, what is the core business? What are we called to do? How do we do that? We're all a little bit afraid of what's going to happen. You know, we're watching the trends in America in terms of attendance and we're realising that online is here to stay. Um, How are we going to navigate that? What's that going to look like? Personally, the trend I'm seeing is digital as a new evangelism. That's where we should be going. We have to be reaching out to people digitally. We have to be pioneering churches that way. We have to think in that sort of community. People aren't going to go back to business as usual. It's going to be different. Yeah, yeah. And I know I like even in our context over here in Adelaide, um, new people that have been rocking up to our church have been saying, almost without exception, we watched you online before we came. Yeah. Um, yeah. And because they can. And, you know, for we're a transient church plant, we don't have our own building, so it's our front door. And I think, you know, given the proliferation of church planting, that'll happen more and more too. Um, I hope so. I think it's great. It's the outer court. You know, there are people who won't even go yeah. into the into the courtyard of the church, let alone into the church building. And there are people who perhaps will never, you know, um, certainly seeing Alpha for Single Mums and marriage course in people's homes and all of those things. There's something wonderful about being invited into someone's home. Yeah. And they are much more honest and we connect in a much deeper level when you do it relationally. So I think church planting is going to be driven digitally. There's probably people who haven't even come to your church but still watch you online but yeah. they're kind of afraid to get, you know, out of the house or they've got reasons they're elderly and they've got disabilities or they've got um, phobias and fears and you can connect. You can go right into their home, which is just the best thing. It's kind of almost like, I don't know, we're being the church. Yeah, can you talk to one of the things that we've been talking about at our church is around the fact that online church is here to stay. But mm. when we offer online church, we don't, um, I don't know about in Victoria, but internet here in South Australia is chapeau. So <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. And so we don't live stream because it's too fraught. And so we literally put together and produce an online service, but we made the decision actually after lockdown finished to make it not feel the same as a Sunday service. So we don't just stream a service. We wanted to actually address it differently. Mm-hmm. Do you think like, are you seeing that more or because other people sort of say, I want to be part of a service that streams live because it makes me feel like I'm there. Mm-hmm. But then we've got other people mm-hmm. who sort of say, oh, I just sit back and it's just, I feel it's like a consumer experience and, you know, combating mm-hmm. that. So, you know, what are you seeing through Alpha that's really hitting? Hitting the spot. You have to think of online and face-to-face as two different campuses. Mm-hmm. So people who are just live streaming their service primarily are targeting people who've either been to church already or have the capacity or ability to come to church, and that's great. So that live streaming keeps them connected. People who are doing a digital service are saying, okay, I want to reach those people. Um, I'm intentional about, you know, the fact that our people are going to travel, they come from different places, you know, um, we've got a, a cluster of people that are watching from Murray Bridge or whatever. And so that digital, but what you have to do is then make that engagement a separate campus. You have to think about, okay, we're watching the service. What are we doing before the service? You know, Insta stories mm-hmm. have made, you know, the corridor conversations, post-church gatherings. You know, if you've got a cluster of people watching from a particular place, gathering them together in person for meals for those who want to um, and on Zoom for those who aren't ready to and perhaps think about that as driving your next live campus. Mm. You've also got to think of engagement perhaps as, okay, these people are coming to digital church, so let's invite them to digital Alpha online, let's invite them to a marriage course online, 
let's connect them in a chat room um, and a breakout room where they can receive prayer. So think about all the elements of a church community um, that you have naturally because you've been doing church in buildings, wherever they are, for years, but now digitally you have to find another way to connect. So just doing a service isn't enough. There has to be a community connection so Mm -hmm. people can go deeper. They may never have a face-to-face connection, but they have a personal connection. You know, sticking people in a breakout room after the service who want prayer for healing, for example, or sticking people in, say, in a breakout room after the service or an Insta story after the service and just say, hey, what did you think of that? So you can do live in a different way, but keeping your, your digital quality service, I think, is really important. Yeah. And then it's flexible. People can opt in when they watch it, which is mm. sad but true. Yeah. It yeah. is how it is. Although it's no different to not rolling up on a Sunday physically because you've got something on, but you can catch it later. No, no, it really isn't. Hey, um, oh, sorry, were you going to? No, no, you go, you go. Okay. So, Melinda. Now that you are sort of the National Director of Alpha Australia, prior to that you ran the Imagine Group of Churches. Can you talk to us about what that looked like and the context in which you served there and how it's been sort of transitioning into, you know, this more 30,000 feet role Mm -hmm. of Alpha? Sure, very happy to. So, um... I was working um, in recycling, had a real job, was doing law and felt God's prompting. Sorry, did you just say you were working in recycling? And doing law. I heard both of those. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was working for a... double degree? um, In law and recycling, double degree? I think we're having some connection issues here. Oh, there we go. Yep, back now. (laughs) So... um, do you want to open Africa. Um, I had a vision when I was 13 of myself preaching in Africa. So assumed I was going to be a missionary. Is that is that you having internet problems? A little bit. Remember what yeah. I said about Adelaide uh, and internet? Right. We're going to open a door and see if that works because, honestly, okay. that's what it's like can... living in Adelaide. Oh, okay. <laughs> the internet. Love the idea of opening a door. Perfect. Beautiful. Sometimes it's weird how it when works. you open like a you door, open God it. opens We're the sitting internet. In our, this is my church and this is our auditorium. And sometimes if you just open the door, it's like, oh. It's the spirit. You're leaving room for the Holy Spirit to come in now. That's right. Yeah. Leaving room for Jesus. Yeah. It's yeah. great. And perfect. We're talking in front of Jesus. I mean, we've all become more forgiving. Hey, we've all got more grace because that's happening to all of us. So yeah. it's a good thing. You know, sometimes people say my online service and my connection is not perfect. We don't want per- perfect. Yeah. We want authentic. So 13, in the back of a car, saw a picture of myself preaching in Africa. Assumed I was going to be a missionary. My parents were mean and they said no. I had to finish school first. You know, Cruel. how parents, parents yeah. limit your dream. I was 13 uh, and ready to go. Yeah. Um, ended up finishing school and realising, you know, I want to make money. I don't want to be a missionary. Don't be ridiculous. So I got a job with a recycling company as a management trainee, working in every part of their industry, um, and then got to a situation where I um, was doing that and then kind of thought, I felt God say, is this my best plan? So I'd worked in a lead plant, aluminium plant, worked in all different places. Um, yeah, I was very interesting people training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's obvious 
that's what qualifies you to be a minister. Oh, sure, I can I can wear hard hat and you know yeah. overalls and hard boots. And have you dealt sure. with uh, class eight hazardous materials? Yep, great. You can be a minister. Awesome. All of that, no problems. You know, dealing with the unions down the wharfs. Yep, easy. So did all of that and then was doing some parliamentary submissions and felt God say, this isn't my best plan for you. And, and that was weird. I wouldn't, you know, God doesn't speak to me that often, that, that whisper. So I, I kind of take it seriously. So I pursued that. I resigned my job, went to Bible college, you know, volunteered in church because, you know, no one pays you in church. So did all that and um, eventually was working with a youth organisation, got married. My husband and I were at different churches. Before we got married, he said, where is this call of God on your life going to take us? And we talked about it and discussed. I could never be a senior minister because women didn't do that, um, couldn't do this, couldn't go to Africa because, you know, he, he was going to live in Melbourne. So we, we negotiated the terms of our marriage and where we would be. And we chose a church together. I went to that local church, which was a great church. The minister was lovely. It was a small church where we felt we could make a contribution. And um, I'm at Theological College. We meet with him, say, we're really going to come to this church. We really love it. He said, great. I believe in women in ministry, just not in my church. So it was like, okay, that's interesting. Um, And it was a huge, wonderful learning opportunity for me. So I just thought, okay, what are the things in the church that I could help out with? So started getting cups of tea after church. Could we do some food parcels, set up a whole care centre and houses and all sorts of stuff? Mm. And eventually ended up being invited to their ministry team. And I remember when I got ordained in that church, he said to me, I don't know how this happened. And I said, I don't know how either. And what I know is God makes a way where there is no way. So I was working with that church. One of my friends wanted to plant a church, and I like church planting, so I said, I'll help you on the side. We used my husband's company. We we rang 5,000 people in that area and said, do you go to church? If they said yes, we said goodbye. If they said no, we said, we're starting a church. Would you like to know more about it? So we started this church. He started this church. I just went occasionally helping out. He pastored it for five years, and one day, actually, and, and about January of this year that um, I, I joined that church, I felt a, a bit of a vision for if I planted a church, if I was pastoring a church, how it would look. And I thought that's a bit strange because that's one of the things I'll never do. And so I talked to my husband, my dad, and some other people that are friends, and they just said, incredible wisdom, just put it on the shelf. So I did. This guy rang me up to say, hey, can we come to dinner at your place? And we said, sure, love to have you. I put the phone down and I felt, again, this prompting of the Holy Spirit. He's going he's gonna to leave his church and he's going to ask you to take it. And I'm like, that's weird. So I rang my husband and told him. He said, oh, you know, that's strange. So the people came around for dinner. He sat down and he said, look, God's called me to go to Queensland. He was obviously smart. And he said, oh, we want to ask you if you would come and pastor the church. And I went to open my mouth and, again, I remember these clearly because if I felt God speaks to me, I write them down and, you know, meditate on it, think on it. And I felt God say, this is John's decision. He's the head of your home. So I just said, I think whatever John thinks, he's the head of our home, which is not something we articulate very often. <laughs> so he got a shock and went, oh, oh, okay. Oh, I better pray about it then. So he did. He prayed about it um, and I, you know, tried to take him to anything vaguely prophetic or vaguely where he might get singled out. Um, And in that time, nothing. 
So I came back and said, I can't. John said no. So they said, okay, will you help us find a pastor because you know lots of people. So I helped them find a pastor. The pastor was coming, really good, really good Baptist guy, and um, he couldn't come for a few months. So they said, will you caretake the church for three months? And I said, ask John. He said, sure, we can caretake it for three months. So I went there for three months. Um, this pastor decided he couldn't come. He really felt clearly God say not to come. We got someone else. They love the church. During that time, people said, would you come and be our pastor? You know, we quite like you. And no, 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 John, John hasn't heard from God. We're not coming. At the very last minute when this particular pastor that loved the church was going to come, we're driving home from church and he says, I can't leave this church. It's like handing over our daughter who is very loved and valued by us. Um, you know, God's knit my heart with them. And I said, well, you can't hear from God now. Like, no, no, the window's closed. I said, what are you going to do about it? And he said nothing, which is what he'd been doing for months. So, so anyway, we had a meeting. The day before the meeting with the eldership, this pastor rang me and said, look, I love the church. We're looking at houses. We're looking at schools. But God's told me not to come. I said, great. Goodbye. Um, <laughs> we went to meet with the eldership, yeah. And both of those guys have gone on and pastored churches and God's looked after them um, because he hasn't just got a plan for one person. There's a jigsaw puzzle yeah, where we all connect. So good. So we told this elder, said to us, we want to ask one more time, would you pass to the church? And John said, well, we said no. Why are you asking again? He said, because we really sense this is God's plan. And John said, actually, I feel it is too. The other pastor said no. So this elder got up on a Sunday. It's a church that votes on ministers. So this elder got up on a Sunday and he said, when I heard that we we're going to have a woman, I thought, oh, God, not a woman. I can't stand that. Have her come. And he said, but I realised God used a donkey. So I could probably, God could probably use a woman. And I'm thinking, this is the most interesting sales pitch I've ever heard. Um, and he said, but over that time, I've seen her, I've seen John, we've seen how they operate. And so we want to recommend that the church call her to be the pastor and we vote on it. Now, to our knowledge, there hadn't been a Pentecostal church that had ever voted on a woman being the senior pastor. You could start one or your husband could die. <laughs> but, but that's how you... Whichever comes first. <laughs> Sometimes you one know? causes the other. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, as, you know, I would have thought men would get smarter and think, hey, if we don't give an opportunity, we're dead. Oh, no. Anyway. no. <laughs> we're not that smart. But I do, I do feel like I have a million questions already. And, I'm, Katie, I'm sure you're the so same. I'll, I'll just finish that yeah, one. Yeah, keep going. So he got up. They voted on me coming to be the pastor. It was a unanimous vote. Three months before, it wouldn't have been. So it's not just God's plan, yeah. it's God's timing and God's way. That's extraordinary. I mean, look, th there's a quote that I butcher all the time whenever I'm chatting to Hillsong folk from um, Brian Houston where he, he says basically um, anytime something comes up that, that could grieve you, you've got to ask the question, are you going to harbour a bitter spirit? And I, every time I've heard from you, spoken to you, Melinda, you, you have such a positive spirit. I wouldn't say that narrative is necessarily one that I'd call positive. I mean, it has a happy ending. You don't know the ending until you get there. Um, if somebody stood up and said, hey, God can use a donkey, so here's this woman. I'd be like, you know, the podcast listeners won't be able to hear my facial expressions as you said that, but it's unreal. Uh, yeah. I guess this might seem like a slightly left-field question, but how have you nurtured such a positive spirit through all this? Yeah, I, I think 
there's there's one thing that you need to do. You need to not just love Jesus, you need to love his church. Great. And that that that's a choice. My husband has a best friend called Charlie who's just such a great guy, but really he's probably listening, so I'll say it. He's in a Neanderthal. Like he's just, you know, <laughs> he's never changed a nappy with his four kids. He's never done this list of things. And they are best friends. But he gave me such a hard time when we started dating. And John went to him and said, listen, Charlie, you're my best friend. But this girl thinks you don't like her and thinks you give her a hard time. And if that happens, we're not going to be friends because I'll probably marry her and our paths will drift. I want to be best friends with you, but I want you to be friends with her. And to his absolute credit, Charlie from that day, 34 years later, is still a great friend. He's still an encourager. He still rings me up. He made a decision that he loved John and he was going to love me, despite the fact that I was not what he thought a woman should be or how they should operate. Um, And it was such a great lesson for me. I choose to love Jesus. I choose to love his church. There is something to love in every church. Mm. There is. You know, sometimes it's the garden, but there's something (laughs) to appreciate about. I think I've been to that church. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's like family. The thing that makes us family and connected is also the thing that can hurt us, and it's the yeah. same with the church. So we just got to choose to love us, love the church, because it's me. I'm the church. You're the church. Have you had to um, do your ninja moves on working with some men who perhaps, and it's not even necessarily that they're against it, but they're not accustomed to it, and so there's this very kind of, yeah. Can you talk to that a little bit? Because I'm, I suppose I want to frame that in saying, so like, so how do I say this? I'm just going to say it because we've chosen that we're going to be real here. So yeah. like I was at a conference, a very kind of large conference. And after the, after the meeting, we were out the front milling around in the courtyard. It was in full view of heaps of people. I was with some of my team and we saw someone um, from, a, from a collegiate church who had a new worship and creative pastor. And I was the worship and creative pastor at my church at the time. And so Lox was like, oh, I'll introduce you. It'd be great to get to know each other. I was like, great. He was a man. I was a woman. And we went over and we were chatting and it was like, great to meet you. So good. Da, 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 da. And we were talking team. We were talking challenges. We were talking tech. We were talking all of the things. And then after about probably three or four minutes, he said, oh, Katie, I'm just going to stop you there. And I just want to tell you that um, I'm married and I have a baby daughter. And I went, oh my gosh, congratulations. That's incredible. I was like, have you got a photo? Da, 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 da. And then I went, mm. what? Why? And I was like, hang on a minute. And so then mm. I, I just had this thing. And for the rest of the conversation, I didn't hear a thing he said because I'm like, did you just say that to me because I was a woman? Did you think that out here in this in front of this massive church in front of hundreds of people, including our staff teams, that I was hitting on you? Like, what? I'm married. I've got two kids. What are you going to do with that? <laughs> like, you know, here's a That's photo. Right. It's not them. a competition. Okay. But I'm continue. just saying. Yeah. Like, but I, I just remember walking back to the hotel that night just going, yeah. He's a really great guy, but he felt the need to, mm. I don't know, put a boundary there. And it took me a minute, you know, and I, since then I've had a, you know, I've had a lot of those kinds of interactions. I don't know. So if I've had a few of them, you must have had hundreds of them. I've had a lot of them. He's obviously so ridiculously good looking that he thought you wouldn't be able to control yourself. He actually yourself. was very good looking to be fair so, to him. And I apologise later. But it was... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, <laughs> <it's too short. laughs> 
Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, look, I, I think part of it comes back to the Billy Graham era, to be mm-hmm. fair. So Billy Graham was so conscious that he didn't want to do anything to ruin his reputation that he had all these rules and they were really good in his context, I'm sure, um, you know, that he wouldn't get into a lift alone with a woman and all sorts of things to protect the ministry. And so the reason why was, was quite clear. You know, if someone gets into a lift with me by myself, I don't want to get out and have her say, oh, he said this to me or he tried it. So there was some clear, you know, you always travel with a man and da-da-da. And it probably came from some scripture that said things like avoid all appearance of evil, you know, and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Fast forward that to our current context and we're keeping the same rules but it's a different day. So you have two guys who are travelling together because, you know, two are better than one or whatever and they go to a hotel and people say, do you want a king-size bed? And they're all really offended, you know. But it's like the context today is if you just got guys with guys and girls with girls, well, then we're very proactively same-sex, um, which isn't necessarily the message the church wants to send. Mm. Um, and so we have to say, okay, how do I navigate this season, avoiding all appearance of evil, um, seeking to have colleagues in ministry, um, and set up my own boundaries. One of the things I, I think is fairly clear, I think the Holy Spirit says one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So I don't not jump on front of that guy in front of a church, um, you know, because I don't have the opportunity because I can't drag into behind the shoulder sheds or something. I don't jump on it because it's called self-control, you know, and that's how I choose to live. And my husband's involved in business and some of the rules that the church world have he goes well I can't take my I can't say to my marketing manager no we can't we can't connect we can't have coffee we can't have anything because you're female you know and what will that look like mm, so we yeah. as the church leaders have to be always thinking how can we help people in their context anything we say on Sunday has to be useful for Monday and Tuesday but what it does do Katie is you think up out of every stress needs to come a strategy so I remember when I first started going to pastors gatherings they were pastors and wives gatherings and people would say, where's your husband? Well, he's not a pastor and he's not a wife. Why the heck would he come? Um, and people, it was great you had a team. I would go with our team, but they wouldn't sit next to me because, you know, the, it, you know, the pastor might get girls' germs or something. So there was a whole lot of things that were informal back then and I thought, okay, then I need to be the social organiser because no one's going to invite me. I need to say, hey, we're all getting together for lunch, want to come. We're getting together for coffee, want to come. We're, so I can look for others who are marginalised or feeling out of it and, and connect that way. And, um, yeah, there's, there's lots of those. We just have to choose to be mm. unoffendable. I think the other thing, Katie, which is maybe you haven't pulled out or maybe you haven't had happen, I hope it's never happened, the opposition I had from becoming a senior church leader was not from the men because I'd worked with lots of people over the years. But the National Women's Organisation and lots of um, women who were credentialed were very upset and didn't agree with it and there was lots of stuff that went around that. And that was surprising and disappointing because it's like, okay, I, I didn't get any phone calls from any women saying great work, I just got lots of negative. Mm-hmm. And I remember taking those, as we should, take the offence and bitterness to God because he can handle it. Mm. And I'm pretty sure this is the Holy Spirit because I never would have thought of it myself. I, I felt this prompting, this is your fault. And I'm like, no, 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 this isn't my fault. The fact that these women are mad at me and upset with it, that's not my fault. And it was because I hadn't gone out of my way to build relationships with women because at that stage 
there there weren't any women at many gatherings. Um, so it's 34 years later. Every one of those years I've run some sort of mentoring, um, either in group situation or individually with young women or older women or women. And the aim is when you get ordained, when you get your PhD, when you write your book, when you start your business, there are going to be 10 other people there, 10 other women there cheering you on and saying, wow, you go. Because there's not one spot, there's many. We need everybody involved in the work of the ministry. We need all the workers in the harvest field. So I think any time you come up against those, Katie, you have to reassess and go, okay, how can I learn from this? And that's his problem. If his, There's a lot of men with some problems, so just leave them with them. amazing the other thing as well was the sort of assumed competency that I feel like um is often there and um so like for example I spoke at a conference once and there was a guy there was quite a well-known speaker and I was kind of the what they could afford I guess and um you know so that was there and then after the session he came up to me and he's just like hey I just want to say to you you know when I saw that there was a woman speaking he's like I was just like cool great that they've got a woman gee I hope she's going to be good and Mm -hmm. and then he said oh I'd like to quite embarrassed um because he said, well, he, he said, oh, you were better than me. And I was just like, oh, I don't know. But then I was just like, don't say that to anyone else who's a woman who's speaking. Like, I appreciate it and I hear your heart, but like, let's just not do that. It's just like yeah. you sit around a board table and I feel this need to prove myself <laughs> to men rather than kind of going, you know, I have a brain and yeah. it's okay. It's all good. But it's just a funny thing. What do you, yeah. you guys are huge on that and you passed it with your wife, Jenny. Yes, I do. We, we co-pastor together. Um, it's a, we have all sorts of interesting dynamics because I tend to be more the teaching pastor and so mm-hmm. I'm up front more and um, she is just a much better leader of people and teams. So she in some ways mm-hmm. for, has a more executive role. But um, yeah, what, what specifically is your question there? Well, I wonder sometimes, I think it's just like I said before, that it's not that people are against it so much as they're not used to it, you know, because totally. I, I had some girlfriends when I started to sort of, you know, do what I was doing a little mm. bit more. And, and it's not so much that you weren't doing it. It's all of a sudden somebody puts you on a platform and so people see you doing it. You were still doing it. but um, mm. And I had some girlfriends who were just yeah couldn't cope and that was really painful. But then the other time, but then the more that we've done it, the more we've championed it, it's actually been become well, a new normal. Get, like, let, me, let me jump into your conference story because uh, I've heard a similar version of that story before. And I, I just, I don't think that would be a problem if you have four conference speakers and three of them are women instead of having four and three are men, because then you wouldn't have to go, you better be better than the man in order to be heard. You would just go, oh, cool. Who am I receiving specifically from? Who is, who is connecting with me as you would with, or as I would with any male speaker, it it shouldn't matter. And, and I I hope by normalizing that the church can stop um, asking questions like, like the one that you got asked or, or no, the comments like the one that you got commented on Hawksy. Yeah, I don't know. We need all of our voices, don't we? I mean, I think if English is your second language and totally. you, can stay, you have a you have a lot to say. Um, you know, Paul said to Timothy, don't look, let people look down on you because you're young. Yeah. Young people have a lot to say. You know, we're yeah. in a society in Australia that doesn't necessarily value people who are older, you know, but, but they have a lot to say. Yeah. And, you know, for me, the last eight years have been a journey of learning a lot more about our Indigenous community and our Indigenous heritage. So I think when you feel like you've been discriminated against, you are more aware of others that have experienced that and hopefully yeah, that, that helps you embrace them and engage them. And um, I think sometimes women want to go because they're women 
without necessarily doing the work to have the competency, you know, um, the experience or whatever. You know, I've done some denominational roles and and people want you on there because you're a woman, but then you've got to sit in the room and have governance and, and be involved in credentialing and ordination and finance. And, you know, so we don't deserve a go because we're women. We want to be who God's called us to be and he will open doors of competency. I remember... Um, you know, in Victoria, they had this, you know, thing where all the churches together, together and they vote on the executive on it. And they'd never had a woman in the ACC on an executive, mostly because most women were way too smart to put their hand up, is my opinion. <laughs> and one of my elders said to me, I want you to stand for that. And I just said, no, I'm not, that's not going to happen in my lifetime. I'm not interested in that. You know, anyway, he made me pray about it, which, you know, really elders. Ugh, really, I hate that. You I know. pray about it. I'm busy and important. Exactly. So I prayed about it and I felt God wanted me to stand for this particular role. So I assumed the Holy Spirit was teaching me about humility and about public rejection. So I studied that, you know, okay, I'm going to get publicly humiliated and rejection in front of hundreds of the ministers in this state. What do I wear? How do I look? <laughs> what do I do afterwards? All the important stuff, you know. It's um, iconic. And the, exactly. And the election came and I'm 99% sure I didn't vote for myself because why vote? Why waste a vote? And I saw all of these, you know, they looked incredibly old, all these, you know, predominantly white middle-aged men sitting up on this stage, you know, as this governing body. And they announced the first round that I got voted on and I was just so shocked. And my first response was, oh, no, I had no plans to do this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I had plans how to handle it. So I had to get a plan of how to do it and how to cope with that group of people and how to mm. coach them through a unique situation for them. So God sometimes has more trust in us than we have. God's you know, awesome. Um, we've got to so good. just go with the open doors. Yeah. Amazing. Hey, Melinda, I'm aware that we're kind of running out of time, but I just wanted to ask you, like, if, if, if you could, if there were things that you wanted Christians, church leaders, pastors across the nation to do or to be encouraged in that maybe they're not or that you're like, oh, I hate that. I want this. You know, you don't realise. Come mm -hmm. on. What would be the things? What would be your exhortation mm -hmm. to us? To everyone listening, you're not alone. I think it's a huge time of discouragement for lots of ministers and leaders. Lots of people are opting out and opting for changes because we expected that we would stand in front of congregations and have that affirmation and that's changed. Mm. So I think it's a really discouraging time for leaders. I think church people do everything you can to support your leader at the moment, to encourage them. Just leaders, you need to take as much space as you can because this level of replanting, re-pioneering is going to take energy. And it's going to take you being at your best self. So if you can have a sabbatical or have some holiday, take some self-care and be ready for that. Can I also say this? We are in the greatest season of evangelism we've ever seen in Australia. There is more openness to the gospel than ever before. All of the Google search words tell us that people are searching for faith. We've had this myth that we are in control and globally that myth has been destroyed. So if we're not in control, if we don't determine our destiny, is there someone else? Is this out there? And yet 49% of Australians never get to have a spiritual conversation. So I would say you need to engage. Spiritual conversations, whatever it takes. This is an area where we need to be thinking outward, not are our churches going to get back to normal? No, 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 they're not, right? Just deal with it. The future is going to look different. It already does. So we have to see the opportunities and say COVID has... The way I put it is this, don't waste a good pandemic. 
Never waste a crisis. That's right. (laughs) Never waste a crisis. So what are we going to do differently? How are we going to reach out? You know, um, I'm meeting with a group of leaders at the moment and we're saying by 2030 we want to double church attendance in Australia. Okay, simple. Let's just take it from 2 million to 4 million. How are we going to do that? This is the greatest opportunity we've had. So I think it's time to to prune, to focus Mm. on what really matters, to be honest with ourselves that many church leaders have not, seen people come to faith in great numbers and that's being kind some people haven't seen it at all so how are we going to focus on that how are we going to 12 million australians say they're christian right less than two million go to church so there's 10 million that are warm to christianity they're warm to discussion they're warm to areas of faith so we need to focus on that digital church alpha online there's going to be lots of problems in relationships, the marriage course, parenting courses, plug in all the alpha stuff because it's free. Come on. Um, they're, they're all online. We have seen people do the marriage course, you know, hundreds of them that would never, ever go to a church, you know. And so we need to be thinking outward focused um, and then have pathways for them to come in or pathways for us to go out. So I think your digital reach should drive your church planting. I think digital reach should yeah. drive, that should be part of your KPIs. You should not just put a digital service on. There has to be digital engagement yes. and not just money. So many people go, oh, we've got a button for people to donate. Yay. But I'd like to have their whole life, not just their money. Yes, so how do we donate to find out more about it? So that's what I would say to church leaders. You're going to be a bit tired. Find some people in your church that will help you because they're there. There's a lot of IT people. There's a lot of digital people. And, and start planning 2021 to be your most productive, most fruitful, most outward-looking year ever. Amazing. Incredible. Incredible. One, one last super important question. Um, does Nikki Gumbel own any other sweaters or is it just the blue wool knit? Because every time I've seen him anywhere, any situation, it's... Surely you could send him some alpha merch. He's, he's really a creature of habit. He's one of those people, This is he loves this season of online. But just to let you in on a secret, next week we've got, you know, a digital thing with, with Nicky Gumbel yeah, Live, um, which everybody's invited to. And we're actually going to ask him that question, Nicky, oh. and we're actually going to deliver him a red jumper. Great. Just, you know, some things and go, you know, now I know he won't wear it, but he'll be embarrassed to tell me he won't wear it. I, I want to see him in an oversized <laughs> tee and a thin gold chain. Like, this is what I need out of Nikki Gumbel in 2021. It's true. It's true. You know, but, you know, I remember the first time I saw um, Nikki Gumbel before I worked for Alpha and I just saw him riding his bike from campus to campus. And I oh. thought that's, that's a servant leader. Yeah. That's a person who's not just got his feet on the ground, he's got his bike on the ground. You know, he's not. So, yeah, but, you know, he, and he's a, he's, he's a creature of habit, which is a benefit to us. He gets up at f- between 4 and 4.30 every morning to spend three hours on his Bible in one year. Katie's the same. So, yeah. yeah. I get up at 2. In fact, I don't sleep. I'm just constantly in a state of prayer. Perfect. Perfect. I'm reading the Bible Perfect. right now in my mind. So where's the Sabbath then? Um, I don't accept your premise. Mm. I don't understand the question. <laughs> I refuse to answer it. Great question. Probably one for another conversation. <laughs> Lynn, thank you so much for being so gracious with your time and us on Read the Room today. Ah, privilege. It's just a privilege to be here. Can I just say one last thing, which we, Please. you know, you can cut this if you want to. Um, people are looking for spiritual connection. And surprisingly online, you can do that. So I wonder if we could just take 30 seconds Come on. and just do pray. It. 
with yeah. everybody that's listening to your podcast. And yes. what I say is we pray the most ancient prayer of the church. Three words, you can do it. Come Holy Spirit. <laughs> and if you want to just raise or open your hands, wherever you are, it's a way of being open to God. We are about the work of the Spirit. Come on. And he knows what lies ahead. He knows where we are. He knows what we need. So just raise your hands. Let's just pray. That's great. Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Come Holy Spirit. Spirit. And wherever you are and you're hearing my voice, I want to encourage you just to breathe in the presence of God. It's a physical thing, but it's us saying, God, I just need your breath. I need more mm. of you. I need more of you. I need more of you, Holy Spirit. And then we exhale because we're breathing out the breath of God into our worlds that need it. I just really um, really have a picture of how often Jesus was moved with compassion and he touched people. And I know that's the strange word in our context because I'm in a mask-wearing world. But I just sense that God is prompting us to be moved with compassion and to reach out and touch people more than ever before, and to carry the presence of God wherever they are. And I'm praying right now, wherever you are, that the presence of God will just be very real in your situation. Whenever you feel depleted, just pray, come Holy Spirit, and he will. He will. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you so much, Lord. And I just pray right now for those who are needing healing. Yes. Physically, mentally, and you're feeling drained. We just pray for the healing presence of the living God to be with you. Just receive, just drink in his presence and his healing. And you can expect that God will work in your life bringing healing, but also there'll be things that are brought to you that enable you to, um, to be healthy and to be whole. Perhaps someone's going to give you a vitamin that you need or perhaps that question, where's the spirit of the Sabbath, is going to resonate, that that God is bringing healing and wholeness mm. into his church leaders. Thank you, God. So I just pray right now for the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our counsellor, our guide into all truth, love of God, grace of Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, Melinda, we love you. We're going to be praying for you. We can't wait for drinks with Nikki Gumbel on the 21st of October. It's going to be wonderful. It's locked in. And I wonderful. Say, um, I know Mike and I, we have just loved those um, opportunities to gather, um, you know, hosted by Alpha and learn from some of the greatest minds in ministry and, and in the word at the minute. And so we're just so thankful yeah. for that. And we're so thankful that Alpha is so generous with its resources. So we just want to pray the blessing of heaven across Alpha over everything it does. 100%. And we're with you. We're with yeah. you. In any well, it's, it's the generosity of our donors and we appreciate them and they genuinely want to serve the church. We it's genuinely incredible. want to see you fulfill your mission. Yeah. You know, we would like to see in South Australia every church double. And it's South Australia, so don't wait till 2030. By no, 2025, good. double no, the A church, the city of churches, they should all be full. Mm. Yeah, but a lot of them are real estate offices at the moment. So we're, we're working on it. Mm. We're working we'll have to get it. you back to tell us what you've been talking about in your war room of how to double attendance. Yes. <laughs> yes. But church now is in every home. See, digitally we're in every home. So we can we can... 
we can double the attendance straight away right across the one. We still live in Adelaide. We still live in Mitchell Park. So I love Adelaide. Yeah, yeah. I'm born in Queensland, live in Melbourne. So yeah, I basically like Australia. There you go. That's amazing. Perfect so good. Bye, Melinda. Thank you again for well your done, time. Guys. God bless. We'll be Privilege. with you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks, Melinda. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, thank you, Melinda Dwight. You are our hero. We will fangirl you forever. Thank you for being such a stalwart of church and the gospel in Australia and for doing the work that you do with such grace and good humour. Um, so, guys, if you have any questions about what we talked about today, we'd love you to send them through via Instagram, Read the Room Oz, and we can't wait to engage with you around that. Hey, if you haven't already, get around the work that Alpha does. They are one of the most prolific, generous, and professional um, resourcing bodies in the world. Um, they do incredible courses around marriage, new Christianity, um, mental health, the whole bit. So alpha.org, get around it. Chuck Melinda a follow because she's worth it. And Mike, why don't you tell us who we're talking to next week? Yeah, you're dead right. Melinda's a great follow. Um, Steve Chong next week. The great man, Come Steve on. Chong. Founder and leader of the rice movement across now Australia, New Zealand, Brazil. It's breaking out across the globe. And it is a movement of young Asian people uh, in second generation places. It started to be Asian Australian now, of course, New Zealand, Brazil. You are not going to want to miss hearing from Steve as he talks about evangelism in a second culture so really coming off the back of Melinda and of course what it means to be Asian Australian right now and how to be an Asian Australian Christian in this context I love it so we'll see you next week